0: Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is, a sexual, who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partners, become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
1: christ thanks thanks for reading Joel. um hello everyone Uh, it's great to see you all if only virtually uh and an especially warm welcome to uh all those especially if you're new to covent garden uh, talks today it's great to have you here um it's also great to have this chance to have a look at ephesians 5 with you and just before i um i do i'm gonna uh just pray for you now for god's help Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us here today. We thank you for the technology that allows us to do this. Uh, We thank you for your word, which you've given us in Ephesians. And we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding as we look at it now and seek to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now... um, I know there's quite a lot of bad news around at the moment, but I wanted to begin with a confession, and that's that I have a slightly morbid fascination for uh, North Korea. Um, I did a course in totalitarianism at university, which might be part of the reason, I suppose. Um, but it's also that I can't really believe that there is uh, anything, or uh, well, anywhere on this earth, that is still like that in the year 2020. The government tightly controls most aspects of life, uh, especially the internet. Uh, there's no contact with the outside world for its citizens. In my mind, it feels like a place that is dead to the world. Between about 100,000 and 300,000 people have escaped since the Korean War stopped. We don't know the exact number, but that's not the sort of thing that the North Korean government liked to uh, publicize. Uh, but one story caught my attention, <clears throat> and that's of a girl called Park Yeon-mi, uh, who escaped in 2007 at the age of 14. It's a fairly harrowing tale. She and her mother uh, escaped to China in, uh, and where they fell into the hands of human traffickers uh, before escaping again to Mongolia. And there they sought asylum uh, and were able to settle in South Korea. She said the turning point in her life came, uh, which caused her to defect uh, from North Korea. It was when she watched an illegally imported DVD of the movie Titanic and she realised the oppressive nature of the North Korean regime which uh, they were living under. She said the movie taught her the meaning of love uh, and gave her a taste of freedom which she had not previously known. I can see scriptwriters all over the world saying, you see, uh, we told you there was a point to making cheesy Hollywood romance movies after all. Well, that story might make you and me watch Titanic with a little bit less cynicism next time it's on. But if you were that girl, Park, you and me... How would you live your life now? She realized she was living in darkness under the oppression of the North Korean regime. She'd escaped, but she was given a new life, a new status. She was now free. How should she live her life now with the knowledge of what she'd been saved from? Her new status as a free citizen of the world. How how should she live? I know it's not a perfect parallel, but it gives us a picture of what Paul has been writing about in his letter to the Ephesian church. We were living in darkness. We were dead in our sins outside of God's kingdom, but we've been made alive in Christ. We've been given a new status. We're now God's temple. We are now God's people living in the light. Paul is urging us to recognize what it means to be God's people. He wants us to recognize that that comes with a responsibility to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, he says in chapter four question for us, though, is what does it look like practically to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Well, that's what we're going to look at in today's passage. And in last week's passage, the second half of chapter four, um, Paul was giving us a more corporate message to the body of God's people, followers of Christ. What Paul's doing here in chapter five is going further and deeper and giving us Uh, practical applications in following Jesus as individuals and if you're listening today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're just looking into the Christian faith, let me say first of all how welcome you are and I'd like to encourage you to see how following Jesus has a direct impact on how we live our lives because of his loving example. We're going to look at this in three parts. First of all, don't walk in darkness. Paul calls us to throw off the behaviors that characterize our old selves Then, secondly, instead, walk as children of light and understand the power that we now have in Christ to save others. And thirdly, walk wisely. Paul gives us some good principles to help us to make good use of our time in the service of the Lord. So let's look at this first section, verses three to six. Don't walk in darkness. Paul writes, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, Verse 3 starts quite abruptly with but, and this shows the contrast with what has just preceded it. In verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, Paul's been urging us as followers of Jesus to walk in love, but, he says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Paul is calling out this behavior, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness or greed, filthiness, foolish talk and crude joking as being completely out of place, completely contrary to those who are walking in in love as followers of Christ. In fact, we should not even speak about such things. That's how seriously we should regard this. Why? Well, Paul tells us in verse 5, Anyone who lives in this way has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So Paul is making it really clear that when we live like that, unrepentantly, we have no inheritance in his kingdom or in God's kingdom. This is how people who are living in darkness live. We used to live like that before, when we were, uh, before we followed Jesus, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, essentially doing whatever we wanted And what were we then? We were children of wrath, Paul says. And that's the behavior of our old selves. Going back to those ways would be like Park, Eon, Me, going back to North Korea and living a life of repression after she'd been given freedom to live in South Korea or, or anywhere else in the world. Why would you do that? We've been made alive. We are God's people. We have an inheritance in God's kingdom. So, walking in this way, being sexually immoral or covetous covetousness um, it's it 's just not appropriate. we shouldn 't even speak of it paul says now we may that, that we may think that that sounds sort of countercultural by today 's standards, but it would have been even more so in the culture in which paul was paul was speaking that culture was characterized by debauchery, prostitution uh, sexual idolatry sexual acts and and child sacrifice in the worship of all types of gods so it would have been very hard for this small band of jesus's followers to live differently in the way that paul is describing and they would have faced um, abuse or physical harm Um, so he warns them against believing the lies And if you look down at verse 6 he says let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So, to our culture of today, what Paul is teaching also seems extreme. Think of what today's culture tells us do whatever feels good, follow your instincts. Sexual banter with mates in the pub is, well, it's just banter. It doesn't actually matter. Friends may say, oh, come on, just a little bit of guilty pleasure, it won't hurt or a friend's affair with a married colleague is okay because you deserve to be happy. That is what our culture is telling us. And yet Paul is saying we must get rid of all sexually immoral behavior, all impurity, all covetousness, even from our speech. Isn't this a bit out of date? Isn't this the type of attitude that gives Christians a bad name, as prudish do-gooders who never have any fun and are always tussing about the sexually liberal culture of today, shouldn't we just lighten up a bit? Well, that is to misunderstand who God is. He is completely pure. If he wasn't, he, he couldn't be a just God. If he didn't have a completely pure standard, there could be no standard to judge immoral behavior against, and therefore no justice. So it's for our good that God is completely perfect, completely pure, and He wants us to be to, to imitate Him, because He knows that that's how we will flourish. Jesus says in Matthew five, "You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Now it's often hard to live like this. I, I'm not saying it's not. The problem for us is that though that when we we can think that God is glorified when people actually like us. So we can think that God is glorified when people like us. But that's not what God says. God is glorified when we honor him, when we bear witness to his true character. He's holy. He is apart. He is different. And so we show God is holy when we live differently from people who reject him. So Paul's shown us in this first little section how not to walk, but how should we walk? Well, we should walk as children of light. And that's our second point. Paul summarizes what he said so far in verses seven to eight. Therefore, do not become partners with them, he says in verse seven. So do not become partners with those who practice these sort of behaviors, sexual immorality, covetousness, covetousness can't say that word, covetousness, greed, etc. So don't become partners with those who, uh, who practice those behaviors. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, he says. Now, there are lots of phrases in the Bible that Christians rattle off happily, and we never know quite what they mean, or you have to really think about them. What actually does it mean to be light in the Lord? Well, this mention of light is a, is a new concept here. It's, it hasn't been mentioned before in the letter, and it's a big development, a sort of gear change in Paul's argument here. Jesus is the light. And the light, Jesus, has made us light. He's made us like him. Paul writes, now you are light in the Lord. And because we are now light in the Lord, we should walk as children of light. It's a description for living like Christ. If Christ is light and we are children of light, we should live like Christ When we do this, the result will be living in a way which produces fruit that is good and right and true. It's living with the humility, the gentleness, patience and love that Paul uh, has told us about and shown us at the start of chapter four. We should try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, he says in verse 10. If we love God, we will listen to him. And we can do this by reading his word in the Bible, thinking about how it applies to our lives Talking to trusted friends, Christian friends, and trying to pray, uh, and, or, sorry, and praying to God for wisdom and insight. And we should also take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So not only should we be passive by avoiding unfruitful works of darkness, Paul is also calling us to be active in exposing these works of darkness. Because, he says in 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So, when darkness or evil is exposed by the light, it can also become light. It can also become alive. So, the logic of Paul's argument is this we have been made alive in Christ, we are now light. Jesus' resurrection power is at work within us by his Holy Spirit. His resurrection power is flowing in us. So we now have the power to give others life as well. It's a bit like those sparklers you get on bonfire night. Someone's sparkler gets lit and then they can go around lighting everyone else's sparklers. They have a kind of power which brings the other sparklers to life. So we now have the power to give others life as well. We, you may ask, we have the power. Yes, Paul is saying we are now light in the Lord. We have the power to bring people from darkness to light, not in our own strength, but in the Lord, in in his strength. So the light not only exposes, it also transforms When we live as children of light, people living sinful lives will see that they are living in darkness. They will see the contrast between their lives and ours, and they will see the true nature of their deeds. And some will abandon their lives of darkness as a result. In Matthew 5, Jesus says to his disciples, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when we live as witnesses for Christ, when we walk as light, others come to follow Christ. Think of a couple of situations, situation at work maybe, where you've got the opportunity to take part in a a lucrative new contract, let's say, but you think it's a bit dubious morally. You say you can't support it. Colleagues don't like it because they feel you're judging them. Or maybe you're on a stag night out with some friends, and some of the group want to go on to a strip club. You say you don't want to go, and your friends, again, think you're judging them. In fact, you are living as light. You're exposing their darkness. They may not like it at first. In fact, they may even hurl abuse at you, but they will see the contrast. They are walking in darkness, but light is shone on their lives by the actions and words of Christians, and they see a way to live differently. That is how people become Christians, even if it's not always straightforward. Jesus's message often arouses opposition, but evangelism is actually best done when we are not loved by people. That's when the message is really hitting home, when we're not loved by people. Jesus's message is subversive, not for the sake of it, it's not just to stir up trouble, It's subversive because so many around us are living in darkness, and the gospel is the complete opposite of that. It will therefore offend people, but that is the way that they become Christians, through us shining the light of Christ onto their lives. Now, it seems that Paul has a bit more confidence in this process than we do, but when you think about it, that is how people become Christians. Certainly, it's true for me. Being made light in the Lord is a pretty amazing privilege. And it's a pretty serious responsibility as well. We have the power to bring people from darkness to light in Christ's strength. We need to use this responsibility well, and we need to use it wisely. But again, you may say, well, okay, Ed, let's get practical. What does this actually mean day to day in practice? Paul is being pretty black and white in what he's saying here. So does that mean on my next Zoom call with my colleagues, I should be calling them all out one by one and exposing all of the things that I've seen them doing, which are wrong? That doesn't sound like a very good approach. No, I'd agree. (laughs) Different situations will call for different approaches, sometimes very gentle, while at other times we can afford to be a bit stronger. We need to be discerning as we apply these truths, and in these final few verses, verses 15 to 21, Paul gives us some principles and some warnings as we walk as children of light. Primarily, we need to be wise and we need to use our time well. This is our, so our third section, walk wisely. Paul writes in, in verses 15 to 18, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Walking as children of light, living for Christ, is not easy. Jesus makes that clear to his followers many times in the Gospels. So Paul warns us to take care, to be wise, to make the best use of time, because we are in a spiritual battle. The days are evil. There's a sense here that we have no time to lose. This spiritual battle is a theme he really emphasizes in chapter six, which we'll see in the next couple of weeks. So we need to think carefully about our walk. We should be intentional. And that often involves making good plans and, and thinking ahead. Maybe about what we might say to our friends who don't believe in Jesus and also what we should avoid saying to them. Seeking to avoid certain topic of conversations that we know we might be likely to get drawn into, um, that could be uh, unhelpful if we do get drawn into them. So we need to think about how we can avoid them. We can plan our calendars well so that we can make time to see friends and build relationships or make time just to help people rather than thinking, oh, we'll do that when time allows. We all know things don't tend to happen like that in London unless we actually make time for us, make time for them in our calendars or indeed anywhere else. We should seek to manage situations when we know we have weaknesses and would be tempted, maybe in the pub. Paul says, do not get drunk on wine because that leads to debauchery. Well, that's as true at the time um, uh, he was writing as it is today. This is not outlawing alcohol. Jesus, Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, at a wedding so alcohol is not something which he forbade us to drink but we all need to know our limits so it's helpful to have a figure in your head maybe a couple of pints or a couple of glasses of wine that we know we stop at or maybe we just need to avoid being alone with that person in the office who's a bit flirtatious we need to be careful and wise if we're not we can get drawn into living in ways which are not worthy of the calling to which we've been called And when we do that, we damage the reputation of the gospel. So instead of being under the influence of wine, when you don't think wisely, Paul says we should be under the influence of the spirit. And how can we be filled with the spirit? Verse 19, by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I think there are a couple of messages in there for us we should focus on reading the Bible and praying, immersing ourselves in God's word so that we can encourage each other with what the Lord's been teaching us. Reading God's word will also help us to understand what his will is for us. Paul references that in verses 10 and 17. And I think we can also take from this that even if we don't have the most tuneful of voices, we should still sing in our church services um, with those whom we fellowship with. How else can we be filled with the Spirit? Well, verse 20, Paul writes, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we should always be thankful. Paul has already said this in verse four. So the repetition of this underlies its importance. Jesus says to us, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The thing which you think you could never admit or which you feel will always hang over your life. I've dealt with it. You're free. I've paid for your sin. When we truly understand what we've been saved from, when we understand that we were dead in our sins without hope, and yet we've had new life breathed into us by Jesus Christ. When we grasp that, it should drive us to live a life of gratitude to him. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And finally, we're filled with the Spirit when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul describes in verse 2 how Christ gave himself up for us, so we should be prepared to submit to each other out of reverence for him. So how can we make good use of our time? By being careful and intentional about the way we live, avoiding drinking too much, encouraging each other with God's word, singing to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, and submitting to one another. These are all ways in which we should seek to walk, given our new status as children of light. So to summarize, Park Yeonmi, our friend from North Korea, she escaped the North Korean regime in 2007 and now lives a life of freedom in South Korea. How should she now live? Well, she now works full-time as a human rights activist to bring human rights to North Korea. She realized the darkness she was living under in North Korea. She was given freedom, and now she wants to expose the North Korean regime so that others living in darkness might be brought into the light and be free. It's an appropriate response to her newfound freedom. She never wants to go back to her old way of living, and she wants to help others to see the light. In the same way, we were in darkness under an oppressive regime, we were dead in our sins. Slaves to the desires of our hearts, but light has been shone on us. We've been given a new life, a new freedom, and we are now light in the Lord, in His strength. We have the power to bring people to life by living as children of light. So, as we finish, can I encourage you to walk as children of light, live in a way which fits your your new status? Don't be partners with those in darkness. That would be like going back to North Korea and living in oppression. Be active. Expose the works of darkness by living lives that produce fruit for Jesus. Live lives of thanksgiving because of what we've been saved from and the salvation we've been given in God's grace. And be wise and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Let me finish with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us from death to life. We thank you for the great privilege of being your light in the world. And we pray that you will help us to live lives worthy of this calling. Would you please use us to bring our families, friends and colleagues to know and love Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.